0: Kia ora, and welcome to another episode of How to Save the World with myself, Tim Bat.
1: And Waveney Worth.
0: And this one's a little bit different from what we normally do because we're taking an opportunity to almost have a bit of an exhale of breath and take stock. And we've reinvited a guest who's been on once before, Leo Murray, a.k.a. The Worm Guy. Yo. How are you, bro?
2: Yeah, real good. Welcome.
0: Thank you. And we're taking this opportunity to um, take stock a little bit in wake of the fact that we have been one year through COVID.
2: Mm. Yeah, it was um, about a year that we had a quarter last time. And yeah. yeah.
1: Lots happened. Right, yeah, so it was all at the beginning and Fully. it's a different world now. In fact, did we
0: talk to you before we got locked down? Yeah. Wow, so it was just on the cusp, wasn't right it? Right on the cusp. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do a bit of a, a bit of a download from mm. Leo. What's been going on with you, man? Yeah, well, I, I'm really interested in, like, the sort of shared
2: cultural narratives of our civilization, and um, it was a—it's just been such a a potent um, time to sort of keep an eye on on how we make sense of the world as a as a as a, as a species, but also as our civilization and the sort of grand narrative um, of of Western society had just had this huge opportunity to uh, reevaluate. And it sort of looked like it was going to, but and then it kinda of didn't quite. And mm. it seemed that um here in New Zealand it was it was pretty amazing with like um team of five million and Jacinda's sort of be kind and focus on compassion and that relates a lot to um a lot of work being done around deep adaptation. I'm really interested in in deep ecology but then the sort of far end spectrum of that is this idea that um you know it's sort of possible that we could all that, that we're you know we're in the middle of this mass extinction and that we could all be extinct in kind of 12 years um uh, which was the IPCC report and then it's um that's 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 possible it's probable that we will face a significant like catastrophic event or series of events but then it's inevitable, and inevitable that we will face a disruption. Mm. And this is the sort of languaging of deep adaptation. And the guy who sort of is leading that, Jim Professor Jim Bendel, and it was it was interesting because that inevitability got well, was proven true, and it's still happening. This disruption is still occurring, and is moving towards that. Um probability of it being being more of a catastrophic event or um, series yeah, guess, yeah that's right and the and, and, and what what that work kind of comes to it's like okay well if this is all happening and it's all beyond our control and this is actually not something that we can mitigate against it's something that we can we need to adapt to and in that adaptation, what's most important to you or like as an individual or us as a society, as a collective. And it's, it often just stares around to like, how are you proud of who you were in those times of high pressure or conflict or difficult difficulty? You know, were you an egg? Like, or, you know, don't be a dick, like be, be a good person, like be kind. And so that you can die with like integrity
0: what um i found super interesting during the lockdown periods well it kind of getting out of them was how many of uh my friends who i would talk to and get kind of a you know status report how they were going how their lives were and stuff and how um people were very conflicted about saying this out loud i think but it was a really widespread feeling of relief that everything just stopped for a little bit Mm. and they could just like be at home and chill for however long, two weeks, four weeks. Yeah. And there there just seems to be a constant state of running on a treadmill that so many of us are experiencing at the Mm. moment. And we had this hard stop Mm. that was um, from an external force that we couldn't do anything about. And so we were just locked in. And the rediscovery of joy of simple things, like bread making really taking off, suddenly Instagram being just, like, completely filled with
1: (laughs) banana bread and sourdough (laughs) and focaccia
0: and people getting really into it. And it is interesting that in the wake of what was a sort of calamity, Mm. luckily for New Zealand not as big as other countries um, because of how we responded to it, but, like, there are these moments of um, reminder of humanity Mm. in, in amongst, like, the tragedy or the drama of what's happening, like when you're forced to stop what you're doing for a second, which for most people is like working too much, boy, boy. <laughs> and not connecting with the family and the friends and, and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, and people go, "Oh man, making bridge so cool. Yeah. Oh man, hanging out with my flatmate." Or yeah. you know, I had to move back and with my parents, and it was actually quite nice to spend that time with them. Or the biggest one that I kept hearing was from friends of mine who were new parents, and they were like, "It was perfect because." I had this forced time where oh. I could spend time with my new baby, yeah. And like, it's just a reminder of how much we've drifted from how how much things should be, you know, mm. to how we're actually operating.
1: It's interesting in terms of adaptation because is it adapting back to um, these things that are more core in terms of our human experience and our things that are truly precious, rather than like as if we're talking about a reset. Away from things that have gotten a bit too crazy or a bit too much, mm. and also just to go back to what you're saying, Leo, and uh, it's quite stark. I guess I'd been thinking it, but I hadn't heard it expressed so clearly. Around, I mean, everything we do in this show, Tim, is is about um, mitigation. It's about we can stop this, we can change this, or mm. we certainly can mitigate it. Mm. Um, and that's true, right, if we all do these things, and if the government and businesses and everybody does their their bit there's there's a lot of mitigation to be done, but parallel with that, and then perhaps, as you're saying even more importantly, is this idea of just adapting to what's coming that's right I think it's
0: both right like Absolutely. they're not mutually
2: exclusive, definitely not, and whenever like whenever I'm at sort of at the table with say councils or government conversations around this, they're often playing them off each other and they'll often be different teams working on mitigation or working on adaptation. Uh, An example of that might be sea level rise where they'll have the team working on like how do we um, create resilience for this community with the seawall and like maybe strengthening and things like this. And then there'll be a whole other team that is in the background planning how to move that entire community off the beach. And that's happening for a lot of coastal towns right now in New Zealand. In the background, the the mitigation and the adaptation, and that that's applicable to pretty much any situation where the 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 planetary boundaries are starting to narrow the parameters for human existence. And go, okay, well,
0: you know, you can stay there, but you are going to have to change the way you live your life. How do you think people start getting there mentally? Because I think. Perhaps part of the problem is I think it's quite a popular media story to to play the two things off against each other. Right. It's just my suspicion as someone who sort of absorbs a lot of media and does like media commentary and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, what what? how do you think people can start to grapple with the fact that it is both? Like it's a little bit of everything that we need mm. to be doing. It really is about the sort of inherent
2: paradox in everything and... A lot of the way that we make sense of the world, and in particular of um, things like climate change or COVID nineteen, is in this kind of this or that, or you know, good versus evil, or you know, like nature doesn't really work in these these dualities. These there's really everything is really really complex, and you and we have to learn to be comfortable with the uncomfortability of things being this and or that plus this and the idea that we have to at the same time mitigate against, um, you know, ecological pressure and at the same time do that in a work so that we can feel that pressure and not like um, react violently or, you know, be, be kind. Mm. And then also at the same time, make the sacrifices that we need to make in order to adapt to a new way of living in the world, a new way of relating to nature and ourselves and each other.
1: Adapting is such a anti Western thought in Mm. terms of, I'm not saying in some ways, like because it's clearly a culture of change and growth, which requires Mm. continual adaptation,
0: Mm. but,
1: um, in this in the context of this conversation um it's it's actually we're talking about adapting the by acknowledging uh defeat in a way mm-hmm. it's like we're still collectively really gunning for technology to save us or, yeah. or some innovation some just we we we're, we're hoping I think, collectively, that we can carry on more or less the way we are. We, we understand that our minerals are running out and that energy is getting more expensive, but look at technology. There's such amazing things happening there, which is true. I actually hear continually really heartfelt, exciting things around technology, which gives me hope as well, but... Uh, and I guess it's at both ends, isn't it? Because mm. I, I think I can be seen to be a bit anti-tech because it's a thing I bring up a lot. But I'm not at all, and I think there's such potential there. But we do, I, I really feel that it's part of that like you're talking about that collective narrative mm. of, of humanity. Mm. At that level, we need to start introducing this idea that actually, guys, we mm. part of our future is stepping back, stepping down, and rather than being on this sort of Rocket ship of progress mm. stepping into an ecology of um, balance.
2: Mm. Yeah, I'd say that's really accurate to reflect that adaptation sort of flies in the face of the promise of technology, um, where we're constantly sort of reminded that if we can, you know, take into account more data points and compute things more effectively. At a broader scale, then we can control things better, and therefore use technology to save us from ourselves. Is it's sort of like a promise that sort of seems about fifty years too late. Like it's sort of been happening for a while now, and, and I it get keeps it. Keeps not bearing fruit That's in right. my <laughs> <Yeah>. estimation as <laughs> big well. Like I can imagine, like a sew- like a a sewing machine and like a, a, a washing machine, a clothes washing machine would have made a big difference to say
0: some women's lives and um, certain... Tools for men's lives. Yeah. yeah like Big that, time. That book, Factfulness, is full of those sorts of things. Cool. And the amount of time that the average person used to spend on laundry was it was something like 12. I'm going to get it slightly wrong, but it was like 12 hours a week. Monday. Washing day. Yeah. Two Washing
1: day. Yeah. But, but it, then, but It's we,
0: crazy um, that we've filled that up with exactly, more. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Like, and we need to go to work. work whether it's house prices
1: or to, what have you, but yeah. we're busier now. We're a lot busier than what we were, incredibly. We used to spend 12 hours. A week mm-hmm. washing, we've actually got less time. The, the yeah. analogy now. I
0: keep thinking of, which I guess is a bit apt for this, is you know when they like add a lane to the motorway to oh, yeah. um, try and alleviate congestion, Big and time. then every time just more cars go on the road. Yes, so there's there's zero impact to traffic. Yeah, um, but you've got this whole other lane, yeah. that's and and that's kind of this analogy for technology that we keep seemingly alleviating these tasks and making our life easy, but then we just fill it in with mm. more stuff that's like yeah. the same and niggly. Both
1: and both there's cool. that idea of the energy budget too that we just talked about last episode with EVs that um, when we get some money back in our pocket because there's a technology that's uh, more efficient mm. and doesn't cost us so much and can do more for less, um, that's not usually a gain for the planet. That's just a gain for us personally and yeah. go out and buy more basketballs or whatever you're into Mm. yeah
2: Mm. yeah that seems to be a reflection that i'm kind of like inconveniently bringing towards people who are really into like nuclear power as a solution or just you know forms of free or cheap energy as a way to save the save the world from like fossil fuel based energy as it's just like right so that you mean we can like kind of dig up and sell the planet to each other for cheaper and more efficient you without,
0: know? Changing behavior without changing around. the behaviour around yeah.
1: right. so let's bring this back to COVID because I know that was mm. what originally got us mm. really excited about having this conversation mm. and how there's an opportunity Yeah, um, and things do actually I think things have shifted but perhaps not in like a, a big break away from where we were but more of a um, just part of that steady shift
2: mm. yeah I think it's definitely worth acknowledging that we have changed course a few degrees um, but I think like a there were a lot of people in the sort of change-making space when COVID first hit that were like oh wow this is the catalyst we've been waiting for um, you know a lot of people sort of capturing that kind of the, the you know the Chinese symbol for crisis is like mixed with, yes. like opportunity and danger, danger. dangerous danger. chaos yeah. or something dangerous and, opportunity yeah and and like I think a lot of people were really into that and um, there was a lot of call for it, like it to not go back to business as usual and then when it, when it came towards the end of lockdown that was the discourse was coming in was just like we need to stimulate the economy get things going and like no one could really argue with that because they all wanted their jobs mm. and. That we'd just gone through this point where there had been like an entire like l- line in the sand around like what was essential work and what was non essential work, and like the fact that we could even have that discussion was massive because if we'd had that conversation like twenty or thirty years ago, we would be in a such a different place right now ecologically because we would have been able to figure out what what aspects of this of this driving and grow, growing economy, should we? What 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 are essential to a humanity, yeah. and, and which are just like which are just feeding our uh, obsessive, um, like self
0: interest? It's a, it's an interesting concept to kind of recontextualize that essential work label because we we have been viewing it through COVID nineteen as. Mm. Um, What is essential work to our day to day lives as it exists right now? Yeah. And if we could reframe it a little bit and be like, what is essential to the future we want to build? Like, what jobs are required Mm. for a better future than we have right now and for people to exist in? Yeah. Because essential work was. like uh, people in food handling was, and incl- that's like the first thing mm. that I kept seeing and that comes to my head when I think of essential workers, mm, me like too. even before doctors yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. nurses yes. and medical professionals, yeah. um, because we've got to eat, and we heard so much about them, and I think that was kind of good to shine a light because traditionally. Um, those people don't get paid very much. The Mm. working conditions are not great. Mm. Um, And it opened up a wider conversation on like, why are these people who we're putting on the front line of like a virus battlefield getting paid so terribly and not looked after? Totally. Um, And it would be cool if we, yeah, we we were able to shift it and be like, all right, if we know that we've got to draw down carbon on a pretty massive scale, what is essential work to Mm. that? And then how do we like kind of reward the people filling those roles and protect it in our economy, but it's just, it's a very tricky thing to move the <laughs> the cruise liner, isn't it? Mm. You know, mm. Mm. I, this is the eternal um, battle uh, that I think we're all a little bit engaged in. I think me for my for within myself a lot, but also you know like our podcast is all around how do we get people to to change their behaviour,
1: mm. mm. change, and I'm I love stepping it back to not just to behavior but to the way we see and understand the world. Yeah. Because it ha- mm. it has to be at that level and that's what's so exciting about some of the shifts or even the shifts in conversation I notice it, it when with family gatherings which is such a great little microcosm mm. because it's not just all the people that you've surrounded yourself with that are all like you, you know yeah, you get chamber. this <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You get this broad range of opinion and I'm just, I'm blown away by the difference in the conversation and how um, people What are you are, hearing
0: now? What kind of conversations are happening?
1: Well, the election cycle before last was the first time I ever heard anybody talking about the environment and sustainability. And it was mostly sort of negative or neutral or seen as a, um, something that could get in the way of the economy. Um, but it was the first time I'd ever heard it raised as an issue. Mm. And then last election cycle, uh, I I was so surprised just in that three – it's three years, isn't it? Always yeah, forget, yeah. yeah. Just in three years, the conversation had completely shifted to – everybody acknowledging that something had to be done which is huge that's amazing this is people from across a whole spectrum and it's so amazing just to see people taking it really seriously like regardless of what your conclusions are i think the most important thing is that we we start well we have to start with people going yeah this this is this is happening it's real um and it's urgent and then yeah, I'm actually, you know what, I actually am really interested in this left-right um, worldview. No, I'm not really into the politics of the, the who's doing, like I'm terrible with names and who's doing what or what's actually happening. I'm meaning more stepping it back into uh, the, these, these fundamental understandings of the world that where we can see and understand what those issues are and we're the same, same, same and then we want the same outcome so in terms of the goals same same and then because of this world view it's like one person starts heading north and the other starts heading south mm. and you've got i just find that fascinating and i think if we could understand more mm. these differences between these world views and really understand the strengths that each other brings to that um, oh, i just think there could be some real wins there in terms of yeah. going forward
2: yeah it's it's a pretty uh rich space for reflection when we we kind of um, acknowledge that we don't really have a, a climate crisis. We have like a polarization crisis because we have all of the tools and we have shown that we can um, mobilize around issues fairly effectively. COVID-19 was an amazing example of that. And if we could just kind of have a little bit more consensus – on certain like data points, then you sort of assume that humans would react similarly. If you're like, oh, this amazing thing that you like called life, that's not going to be around. Yeah, but you're right. You know, some people head south and some people head north, and relating it back to their worldview is is very accurate in my mind because it's. I would like to think that everyone would do the the right thing or the good thing if they had. The chance or the right information, but no one has, people will have a different information. And there's, and there's kind of like a third slash multi dimensional uh, additional point on this kind of spectrum, which is kind of anything that you could consider non Western thinking, like indigenous worldviews, and the, the idea that <clears throat> our scientific worldview is, is not working. Like, it's it arrives at truth very effectively, but the truth are, is like a reductionist method at arriving at these data points. And they're not quite taking into account the context that, yes. that, I always that think draws of it, it all together. Like,
1: sorry, I always think of it as a, like, we've got a view of Bosch bush where we are, and mm. you can stand at night, and uh, you can have a flashlight, and... Shine it and see the horizon. You can see a context of what you've got there, um, or you can get a laser beam out a little spot, yeah. it'll go a lot further, it's a lot brighter. Mm. But it's um, you're missing you're like, there's the all there. of the context. Yeah. You might see the possum eyes there, but yeah. um, you wouldn't know if that was in the context of a hill or what? That's it's like right. that broader context is missing. And it's almost like we're, so long as that Western uh, scientific method, which is like you say is absolutely awesome and it's just so functional for so many things, um, but it's like we're now trying to push it beyond what it was ever designed to mm. do to try and work out a very complex um, global
0: mm. uh,
1: w- problem with a lot of human Scale issues there, and uh, by trying to have these ten thousand laser points on the hill, and trying to mm. piece them together, it's now become this really complicated thing. Trying to work out what you've got, which is why I often think, from a Western perspective, this future feels complicated, mm. because it's like we'll put away the lasers and get out the flashlight and just look at it. See, and that's where you know where you've got these often indigenous worldviews of totally different holistic way of
0: there's even like it's formally even within a western scientific tradition there was more interdisciplinary science being conducted so like
1: yes
0: the founding fathers of america is is one example that i sort of know about a little bit those guys like benjamin franklin for example um they, they were they were botanists they were chemists they were naturalists
1: amazing inventors,
0: yeah, exactly, and so they kind of would it seems like drawing the theories that were established from one field and being able to extrapolate them into another in, in some way, or it's like you know when you, you you have you have to remember things and to make sense of things, all you have is the toolkit that you have currently. When you're a baby, you can only like grab a couple of words because you don't have that like toolkit to describe the world and hold Mm -hmm. on to those words. And I think with this hyper specialization in science that you were talking about, Wave, it's like we've lacked an ability to have a wide vocab and and to link ideas and to create that bigger picture of the world that actually used to be part of the scientific tradition in the West, and I'm not sure if it's because the kind of lower hanging fruit of science has been has been plucked now, um, and you have to go so deep when you're doing your PhD now um, to be a specialist in something. I think but it there might is be. just there's,
1: there's that body of, body of knowledge. But there's a continues. Huge, There seems to be a
0: huge cost that we've um, that we've paid for that unfortunately and, and part of this yeah it seems like is, is more generalists <laughs> mm. more people who kind of know quite a lot but maybe not everything about a whole lot of stuff mm. that knowledge being um, an inch deep but a mile wide yeah. I, th- I thought the baby analogy was pretty good because the fir- like whenever a baby wants to n- know
2: it, it puts it in its mouth it's like feels it it's like it really is with whatever it is that it's trying to learn about and in order to um understand something through a scientific worldview it's just so heady and so rational that like all of our other senses which we've like sort of numbed ourselves to um through our culture are so shut down that we can't actually feel anything anymore Mm. and like, it's an irony when the scientific
1: yeah. method's all about the senses. That's
2: right. No, it's not, though. It's just about kind of methodology and observation. And everything is about, yeah, reducing it to number and sort of fitting the, the, the magic and the mystery of something so so just infinitely grand as nature and fitting it through this bottleneck of, of number and letter, like the symbol, and then interpreting it you know, and then trying to make sense of that, and that—that that to me, it, there's no inherent kind of values or mm. or heart within it, and that's why I um, wanted to bring in that Western or that Indigenous worldview because it's encapsulated in a story. Yeah, and the story is like, "This is your mother. This is your mother. Like, don't don't be mean to your mum. Don't <laughs> yeah, be. It's just, just
1: a totally
0: don't different. Don't be an egg. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so here we are, like messing with the mother, and
0: you know choking out the sky father with the methane and the co2 and everything is about ranginui and Mm. papatuanuku when you engage with like te ao maori and it's for a really good reason because those stories is what actually Mm. guides human beings human beings need stories and maybe this is the problem with sort of our blind Mm. allegiance that we've pledged to science is that it's like yeah this is the truth and like we can measure it and Mm. And this is our best guess as to what's happening in the universe around us, but it doesn't really like resonate with people. (laughs) You got to look downstream
2: and be like, what are the the knock-on effects of this truth? Does this truth work? And is there something that is like maybe a little bit like less provable as being true that does work better? And if there was someone in the room who worked in this kind of like niche area of science, which is like science communication, they would love it because they'd be like, right, that's it. We just need to tell the story of science better. But that's not kind of not happening. And it's also not, as it, not only is it not happening, but it's being co-opted to prove other points of view that are not only not helpful but also very destructive. Like if you go on YouTube and you wind up on a bloody algorithmic ride, Of misinformation, science is being used to actually steer the whole conversation and in people's sense-making away from reconnecting with ourselves and each other and reconnecting with nature towards, like, actually the most important thing in this whole dialogue is my freedom and my autonomy. And if the government wants to come in and, like, bring in all these rules, like put a mask on, so that you don't kind of infect someone else or yourself that you know, then that you're actually messing with my liberty. And like that to me seemed like a huge sort of a lot like a bit of an oversight with COVID nineteen was just like all these people were really like putting themselves first and getting up in arms about really easy wins and mm. small sacrifices that you can make to to sort of move this thing along and join the people together. It to
0: show us there's a problem. Mm. Right. Like I think because we have this huge um, challenge that a lot of us are trying to engage with of climate change and how best to like address it. Mm. And then when you have something like COVID come and you have an action as simple as, okay, everyone's got to wear a mask. Mm. And there's, I don't know how many people it is. They're, they're always the loudest minority. Right. But say right. like 1%, 5% of people are like, absolutely not. I will not wear a mask. It's like, oh man, you won't even do that. Yeah. <laughs> this other thing we got to do is yes. going to be a lot more mm. challenging. How are we are going mm. to get you out of your car? But, and- but there and, are yeah. lessons to learn mm. from that. And I think like, you know, you keep bringing up the, um, the, the, We've got this incredible asset in New Zealand And most countries have this But I feel like we're paying more attention to it now Thank God than we have before Which is the Maori world view mm. And these indigenous cultures are starting to Rightly be redressed with a bit more respect And I think mm. it's, it's so sad Because in a way it's kind of like Pākehā had to exhaust every option And discover that our stuff didn't work And then go, okay, well what else yes. is around That we could look at? And, and go back to so the people time, we colonised
2: and be like, oh, these, we fucked up. These people have been here us? <laughs> the whole time <laughs> mm,
0: trying fully. their best. And, but, I mean, to, to, to look at the positive, the sea change in New Zealand society around mm. how Māori culture is taken seriously, taken on board, people are trying to educate themselves is so heartening.
1: It is. Totally agree. Mm. Did you hear that TVNZ stopped acknowledging complaints about Māori language?
0: Oh, the um, it wasn't TVNZ. It oh, was who even was better. It? it was the um,
1: oh, the broadcasting, broadcasting authority. standards uh, authority. Uh, yes, yeah, you. they will yeah. no longer even look at complaints.
0: <laughs> People yeah. arbitrarily sending them in because Tareo was used somewhere. Right. Yeah. Ooh. Which is great, but it's so yeah. reflective of just like New Zealand's. Just we're over um, yeah. humouring that kind of racism now it's just like we're not even going to engage guys we've moved on
1: yeah we have we've (laughs) moved on we've got a long way to go but of course Uh, but
0: it does feel like we're stepping in the
2: right direction yeah absolutely I I think like a lot of things it's also just tied up in a generation that have their own kind of pain points around their kind of intergenerational post-colonial guilt and shame and I think a lot like not a lot of people my age would be writing in with those comments um I suppose a good example is like the relationship between my brother, who's a teacher, and my mother, who's a teacher, and my brother is embracing Te Reo Māori in education, and my mother just feels like it's like another thing that, that that the ministry like needs teachers to do, and it's it's just like an kind of what next, you know? And I think a lot, yeah, like a lot of things with sustainability and behaviour change, it's just like we kind of just need to wait for the. Um, dem- what are dem- you going to the, <laughs> the,
0: the demographics of society to change. Yes. The, the, yeah. the, I think that like neurochemistry and the biology around that as well is that when you, you get, as you get older, you get less flexible. Mm. But, like I can feel it in myself. As I get yeah. older, like my ability to reshape yeah. how I see the world and I really try and challenge that as, mm. as, as often and much and usefully as I can to be like, hey, man, you yes. don't actually know, mm. <laughs> but then there'll be <laughs> a point, you you I
1: might. suppose, where perhaps when we'll all reach a certain age where we've lost that ability to be self-aware like that, yeah. and just mm. what wherever that high tide marks lander, that's where we are. I yeah. guess so, but washed up on the beach.
0: I, the hope <laughs> that I have is that by embracing and a really. Um, I don't know, in a very deep way it seems like we're embracing diversity more and not for the sake of political correctness, not for the sake of because yeah. it's popular, but because we recognise there's intrinsic value in looking at different perspectives. Boom. Like it's and and I think we might have even talked about yes, this last Yes, that monoculture. On. Yeah, the the kind of right. linking of um in nature the danger and this is something that i've like it's just been such a light bulb moment doing this podcast with you wave that you've taught me so much about the fragility of monocultures in nature where okay we've found out that palm oil is super useful it has all these incredible utilities so we're gonna wipe out this diverse forest and grow um nothing but palm trees because we can produce a lot of it and it can um, we can sell it for a lot of money by just making heaps of it. Mm. But then to do that, we've got to buy a lot of fertilizer because the natural processes that would you know organically help it grow, we've stripped out. Oh, and then we've got to get fungicide. Oh, and then we've got to – And you know, you're just dumping all these things because it's such a fragile – Yeah. And it's the same thing with people's worldview, I think. When there's a mm. lack of diversity there, it becomes very – brittle. Brittle, and you have to mm. defend defend it with these kind of toxic agents. Mm. No. Yeah, oh, I like that. Yeah,
2: I think there there are things that we can do to um, increase our neuroplasticity and prevent it from kind of stagnating and and becoming brittle. There's, you know, that's just kind of maintaining a growth mindset, and that sort of ties in with a lot of the ways that we tend to control our lives and you know not depend on each other and our communities are sort of like fragmented and also brittle and if we can maintain that like the community weave then and and actually rely on each other a bit more than like mediating all of our needs with money then that's when we can start to keep our, our minds open to new ideas and that's sort of something that I feel like um the the that new openness to Te Mahdi is is doing really well for our, um,
0: mm.
2: you know, a better bicultural future in New Zealand, because we can sort of go okay, there that intrinsic value is not only is here, but the invitation is there as well, and I think that's something that Māori have done so well. They've been so generous by inviting us in. There was really that I I feel like they had no
0: like obligation to do that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But again, that's almost bringing a kind of Pākehā construct to it because mm. I think that – d- and I, I, I certainly do not know very much about this stuff, but it seems like the concept of kōha is all about l- leading with the gift. It's going, I have I have something for you, and mm-hmm. what you do with that is not up to me, and this is not a, a debt to be repaid or what have you, but I'm like kind of leading with the gift first. Mm. And it seems like so much of the experience that I've had of like introductions to Māori culture and – Mm. Um, people teaching me about it has been very—it's like a koha right? That they've that they've given, yeah. which is so cool. Whereas I think we have been taught, and it's kind of this like—I don't know I just it, in my head it's a very '50s American. I've got this like picture of you know nuclear family, and you look after yourself, yeah. You live in the suburbs, and you get a good job, so you can look after your family. And it's like, oh, you become so atomized, totally. and you mm. just like stay in your house and stuff, and you become very disconnected mm. from your community. And I think we are waking up to the ills of that right now because I think we're experiencing what happens Mm. when you follow that the whole way down the path Mm. which is that we kind of all hate each other and it's because I, I think anyway we're not hanging out we not hanging out. Oh, enough. there's mm. so
1: much, you know. Whenever there's any little late like COVID, is a classic, we we oh, we got to meet neighbours and these people that somehow you are just naturally suspicious of for no good reason mm. just turns out that you didn't yeah. you didn't know them and it is a pretty powerful thing mm. that suspicion and then the relief, I guess, through relationship when when we realise oh, you look different but you're just like me. Yeah. yeah.
2: You enjoy eating Fijoas as well, and <laughs> we're willing to share. And like so much fruit got passed over my fence. Yes, and that's that's incredible. And we were talking before about Fijoas being like the socialist fruit, where you, it doesn't cool store or transport well, so everyone gives it away. And that to me, that's kind of how how we can re- weave resilient community is just sharing that abundance, but it's the scarcity mindset that makes us all adversaries in a, in a zero sum economy. And so that, that time off that we had where we weren't all racing and chasing something beyond the horizon, it did, it did enable us to kind of, yeah, actually just uh, recognize the inherent similarities that we all have. And we all kind of just want a similar life. And Mm. yeah, that, that was quite powerful.
0: We've got so yeah. much more in common than I think we accept Beautiful. day to day. Mm. Yeah, totally. Mm. Do yeah. You, so, do you two see um, wave? Maybe I throw this to you first. Like, do, can you see a tangible change after this year that we've had, just with the people around you and things coming out? Especially, I mean, you were talking. I'm always
1: before. seeing tangible change, yeah, but it's just I incremental. Guess, yeah, you've, yeah. Been,
0: you've been talking about that. Difference in people viewing environmental issues and such a dramatic political difference with everyday people how they how they think about it and the importance that it has. So I guess it's just part of that trajectory.
1: I, yeah, I think so. I I I right. I guess at the beginning when this was all happening, I didn't. I wasn't one of those people that got super excited about thinking that we might be ushering in a whole <laughs> new world. It just sort of seemed to me that. Oh, yeah, people will do what they need to do and then get back into business as usual because it's it's just an enormous thing to mm. shift um, your way of life and, and everything about it. Um,
2: mm.
1: Yeah, and I guess more and more people are, you know, we're, 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 whatever the sector is that you work in, um, it, it's going to get to a point some sooner, some later, some people consciously understanding it, some people just responding, but you know change mm. is coming, and how people respond to that is will will be in that best interest, which hopefully might mm. end up with the best interest for us all if that makes sense, sort of being able to um, just because those incentives are different, because things might be changing. Or will be changing. Um, hopefully, that change will just come about because people are all having to respond to it, just like it did with COVID. It, it, it actually, you said something a while back, Leo, about how we can um, mobilise. We've shown that we can mobilise, and we already have the solutions, which is something we say heaps on this show. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not. There's not the sort of intangible hard to work out thing Mm -hmm. it's actually we have the solutions we know exactly what we need to do to have a sustainable future and we've just proven that we can mobilize so it's like it is just so important Mm -hmm. that we that we shift uh, you know which i feel we're doing working Mm -hmm. towards shifting our worldview
2: totally and if you know and and i think just people had a lot more time to just not only connect with their neighbors and and be kind but to reflect on what's important to them like the worm farm hire service got heaps of new subscribers because people were at home and could actually take stock of their impact and like maybe ponder some big questions about like why are we here and what's my relationship to nature and what kind of world do I want to like pass on to my children and so that's you know there there there, I feel like there were a few kind of baseline wins on quite like a philosophical level for people and i'm finding that a lot more um like companies are approaching why waste now and being like oh actually yeah this is something that we've we've decided is really important and it's part of our um our people care as well is is helping them feel like they're making a difference too and um i've sort of thought yeah i've gone in and out of having hope that this would help change things and I think one of the main like there's been a few there's been a few wins but i I've also seen like a fairly um significant like pulling back from certain platforms in in the digital space mm. and people are connecting a lot more in in the physical space because we went we went to that point and then we realized that we needed a hug and like, you know, we, we, we sort of saturated ourselves digitally and we got that zoom fatigue and all of that. And so now people are actually making an effort to go out into the physical space and into the community and connect. And yeah, I would say that that's a, that's a, that's a a quite a positive thing because our ability to make sense of the world was, was kind of hijacked by the, these algorithms and, I remember, kind of getting being, being quite like overwhelmed by kind of how um, so many people's ability to like grok COVID nineteen and 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 fit it into a, a healthy worldview was affected by where they got their news from, what their media kind of lunch was all about, and um, a lot of it was just sort of yeah fed to their their information silo by Facebook or you know their whatever wherever on the internet they got their information and and kind of realizing that we our sense making is a little bit broken and that it needs it needs healing and so moving pulling back from these spaces where like we are our our minds are being gamified by platforms that are like selling it us as consumers to advertisers was a really good move, and and I think yeah a lot of people in my life have pulled back in that that mm. film the Social Network that came out and that kind of like really affected people a lot and was like hey we need to just kind of take stock of what kind of where we're getting our information the, from the
0: social dilemma right the, That's doctor, right, the social yeah.
2: dilemma really good watch yeah and something that I think we all kind of subtly suspected and he, there it was just laid out. For us and so i think that kind of whole practicing good information hygiene is now just as important as practicing good kind of like viral hygiene and not consuming like just a bunch of crap that we that we've read on the internet or seen on the internet which then also plays into our like in-group out-group dynamics and pushes us into silos that are very polarized and 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 really play it like our deep psychological need to belong in in a group, and um, there's there's sort of like this this thing. Uh, Brene Brown talks about common enemy intimacy, and where we feel like we belong, we have we, we we're like safe in a community when we can all identify an enemy and oh, say nice. that that is you're the problem, and then that plays into that. False duality of like good and evil And that's kind of what's tearing apart The left and the right And why we just have such harrowing elections
1: So we we need an alien attack and Then we'd be Well that's kind of what we Globally, all together The, the uh, yeah. humans against is, the aliens That's kind of what
2: COVID could have been though
0: Yeah and it's yeah. also what climate change could be yeah. And I'm constantly frustrated That that narrative doesn't pop up And mm. I constantly live and hope that one day it will yeah. But it's like okay, mm. we've got an enemy and it's called climate change. Totally. So now we have to band together, Yeah, you know, put down the weapons. Mm. Everyone...
1: We're dealing with this really, which we can't help, this really short-term um, way that we respond to danger from the way we've evolved. Mm. Mm. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly how short it has to be, but the more imminent something is, like a tiger chasing you, you um, can understand the, that. yeah and covid was you know it wasn't yep. like a tig- tiger chasing at all it was much more sort of uh nebulous and it was at the border and it was lurking and we didn't know if it was there, but we still responded. Mm. So we know that we can we can respond to that. It was mm. fairly imminent. But climate change is still one, not imminent enough. Just and one layer removed it's, again. It's mm. just yeah. still mostly coming at us via reports from scientists yeah. and we're still looking out the window and seeing green trees and blue yeah. skies. Oh, and uh, yeah people understand only only with their head that it's an issue mm. and i think we will get there it's humanity that's just my best mm. guess but it's just the timing and how bad it will have to be before we band together and um, mm. make the changes
0: yeah i also um because we sort of started this by talking about adaptation um think I keep hearing that narrative a lot of like, are we going to make it or are we not going to make it? And I think realistically it's, it's in between like there's going to be a huge cost to be paid and there's going to be some bad stuff that happens, but it's like how well we get through this is the Mm. question.
1: It's going back to that both end, that complexity. Exactly. There's something I realised actually. Uh, I think we've talked about it before. How there's those utopian um, sort of high tech world uh, scenarios of the future, mm-hmm. and then there's the total dystopia opposite, mm-hmm. um, where everything's broken and ruined and dark, and the sun doesn't even shine properly. And we we could we I'd like you say it could be in between, but that might not be nemo- an. And homogenous in between, either it could totally. be could be pockets where the, that have actually progressed and have done really well, like better than today. Yes, um, in terms of people eating organic food and knowing their neighbours and all of the stuff that we're really hopeful of. And at the same time, there could be other pockets where people have all got their guns out and they're stealing mm-hmm. your veggies. And, and
0: to, to tie it back to like things that are actually going to motivate behaviour change and that sort of thing, I think accepting that, that it's not black or white, it's not going to be we make it or we don't make it, that it is somewhere in between. To me personally, that's actually super motivating because it means we all individually... Um, make changes and then you put it all together as a group and like we kind of... It affects outcomes. It affects outcomes and and we can like win to a degree, Mm. you know? Like it's not like we put all of this investment of our time and energy and resources into a thing. A binary win-loss like America's Cup. Exactly. Mm. That's exactly Mm. right. We will have some degree of success. And so... Whatever amount of effort we put in can determine the degree of success we have. Mm. And that is
1: a great point because it's often said, "Oh, what's the point?"
0: Yeah, yeah. Because people feel completely overwhelmed by this thing. But like we, we, I think hum, humans as a species will make it through this to some degree because we're very feisty, <laughs> <laughs> and so we've got to fight to make it the best version mm. of surviving that we can for ourselves and everyone. And also, you know, I personally think not that to, to um, try and remove this incredibly human-centric view of the world that we've got, but that's no, I'd love time to capture, for another. I'd love
2: to, no, I'd love to capture that, like this anthropocentric human chauvinism that seems to place us kind of at the top of this pyramid of life. And if we, if we look at time in terms of like a deep sense of the word time, we can acknowledge that you know where this is just one epoch of life moving in the direction towards more life and then it seems to you know kind of peak and start again and i mean two or oh, three extinctions ago the the permian triassic extinction 97% of all life died and then it started again and so it's kind of yeah being able to remove our attachment to surviving or are we going to make it mm. and just kind of Maybe acknowledge that there's this broader story Mm. of of non human entities as well, and they're part of our story, and we're part of that story. And kind of.
0: And I think that is changing. I think, like, even if you look at the number of vegetarians and vegans in the world, that sort of, I think, can infer that Mm. people are changing their worldview on that.
1: Which comes back to this amazing thing we discovered with COVID, with the lockdown, the big one that we Mm. had last year where obviously we lost so much. Mm-hmm. We lost our freedom, for goodness sakes. We yep. were actually stuck in our homes, mm-hmm. and yet we were just overwhelmed with what we gained. And like totally. you said to people, sort of like, ooh, yeah. I secretly really like this. Um, so yeah, reframing that.
2: And all these dads were hanging out with their kids. Mm-hmm. And yeah. People were yearning to go surfing or walking in the bush more than, oh, I can't wait to go to, to like the mall and spend my money you yeah know? true that was that was a, and we all thing. saved money yeah mm. yeah I
1: think I think that's it's a nice way to end it actually mm. it's called kororo and just to be able to think in terms of our future that's coming mm. and the ap- adaptations that are coming mm. as um, not adapting to a loss or yeah. not adapting to um, having somehow having to have a worse life but actually reconnecting with the things that really mm. matter
2: yeah yeah, no, nah, it's really, really grateful to come along and have this corridor mm. a year later. Thank yeah. you for reaching yeah. out
0: and and kicking yeah. this off, Leo. Mm. This is a, a bit of a divergence from our normal format, and I've mm. loved having this chat with you both. It's been great. Of mm. course. Ab- apologies yes. if people have picked up the extreme earthworks going on uh, in the next door neighbour's house as well. Just a bit of colour and life happening <laughs> out there in the burbs. Yes. <laughs> the machine of of the housing bubble yep. <laughs> yeah,
1: <context. laughs> the outside
0: world knocking on our door while we're having this big wide ranging chat. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, thank you so yeah. much. Leo. Mm. And do you want to shout out any, um, uh, projects or things that people mm. can kind of look up that you're involved with?
2: Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, we're kind of the, the, we've sort of been prototyping this, this worm farm, um, as a service subscription model thing, and that's cranking in Auckland. And I do Tauranga. remember
1: you talking about that a yeah, year ago. Good yeah. to hear it's cranking.
2: It's cranking, and now we're, we're operating in Dunedin, and we're about to launch in Christchurch and Wellington. So this year is kind of a big year for waste minimization and, yeah, minimising waste, building soil, and kind of increasing community resilience through and, that.
1: And how do people find that um, service?
2: indeed. Excellent. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah, thanks Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for your time. Yeah.